This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello, Cherries fans, and welcome to this latest episode of Cherry Picking. This man next to me needs no introduction. It's Manny. How you doing, Manny? All good, Craig. All good. I'm glad that, um, you know, we found some time to come on. Uh, you know, I, I, I sort of had to think of an excuse to come on and do some cherry picking because I think when we do it together, don't get me wrong, uh, Matt Harrison is very much missed, as is um, Sam Harrison. But, you know, when we get together, we sort of um, have a long conversation and sort of talk. It's a little bit like... Not so much cherry picking, but also a tea party with cherry bakewell tarts. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, somebody who was celebrating, um, not with cherry bakewell tarts, um, the weekend we will come on to the Bournemouth game was, of course, Gary O'Neill, two-one victors over Manchester City. Um, and I tell you what. I'll let you take it away, Manny, because I've had my say on Gary O'Neill loads and everybody's bored with me talking about Gary O'Neill. So go on, Manny. You've got the room. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, Craig, let me just say that having seen most of your video and uh, listening to the points that you've made, you know, you have made some really, really good points. And I'll tell you what, um, Gary O'Neill definitely deserves some credit for the um, work that he's done with the club. It can't be denied because... Prior to his joining, of course, um, Julian Lopetegui, another Basque manager, of course, as we all know, left um, under a bit of a cloud because the board simply weren't able to um, qual um, to just provide him what he wanted. And Lopetegui decided, you know what, I can't um, stick around with this. And, um, you know, there are a lot of players that left, including Ruben Neves. Matias Nunes, ironically, went to um, Manchester City. And so... He almost had to start from scratch. He still had the likes of Jose Sa and um, uh, He Chan Huang and a few others um, in the team who were there from last season. But obviously losing Raul Jimenez and Adama Traore to Fulham was also a bit of a blow because those two guys also would have um, potentially played a big part in Wolves' season. And yeah. so O'Neill was pretty much on a hiding to nothing. Now, just taking a look at what O'Neill did with um, City, he set the team up in what was effectively a very pragmatic and a very, um, you know, boring, tiresome 3-4-3 three, three formation. And that is really reminiscent of the type of boring anti-football that Antonio Conte played with um, Tottenham during um, his second, his his what was supposed to be his full season. Of course, he got sacked uh, before the end of that season. And then, and then, of course, whenever they tried to change it with a flat back four, they ended up getting, you know, completely creamed. It was at St. James's Park under a certain Mr. Howe about whom we'll be speaking. And uh, just taking a look at how they lined up, obviously, um, he had um, the ex-top... Uh, I mean, he had Craig Dawson, um, Max Kilman, and Toti Gomez playing as the three centre-backs with Nelson Semedo and Ryan Aitnuri as the um, wing-backs. Jago mentioned uh, Mario Lamina were the central midfielders, and that left uh, 
not Pe- not Marara Neto, but Pedro Neto on the right wing, He Chan Huang on the left, and Mateus Cunha in the middle. And so this was the sort of, um, for want of a nicer word, more pragmatic formation, really, that ended up stifling um, City in many ways. Because they had a strong team, mind you, with um, Julian Alvarez playing as more of the, num- the number 10 behind Erling Haaland. Phil Foden on the right, Jeremy Doku on the left. Nunes, of course, the former Wolf, lining up alongside Mateo Kovacic. And then, of course, the um, um, ex-Cherry, of course, Nathan Aki at left back yeah. in a flat back four with Kyle Walker, Ruben Diaz, and Manuel Akanji as the centre back, and um, Edison in goal. So this is normally the type of lineup which um, City would uh, play, and it would be quite successful. But the way the team was set up, obviously, by um, Gary, you know, with a Wolves connection, I'm reminded in a way of former Wolves manager Mick McCarthy. As we all know, he managed the Republic of Ireland twice and had spells with several other um, teams, um, As of course, as a manager. We all remember how he was as a player with Ireland and Celtic and Manchester City and uh, other clubs. And um, Barnsley, of course. Don't forget yeah. that, his local side. Um, you know, he and Mark Crossley... Um, I think need to get together and have a bit of um, a chin wag or two, two Barnsley boys. But um, he, I remember him watching an interview um, where he was speaking to Eamon Dunphy, the famous Irish broadcaster. And one of the things he talked about, obviously, was that when he um, took the Ireland job, replacing the legend that is the late and great Jack Charlton, he obviously wanted to move away from the style of play that Ireland employed. And it also meant that he had to start the process of phasing out several players in that team with whom he had played um, in years gone by. And of course, it was difficult for him because, as he said, they were his mates and his teammates and all of that. But he knew that he had to bring some new players in in order to keep the style. He did keep a decent core of players like Andrew Townsend, Steve Staunton, Tony Cascarino and a few others, but he also made the decision not too long afterwards that the uh, team would effectively be built around a certain Roy Morris Keane. Um, I mean, it, it, it turned out well until Saipan, we all know, but um, <laughs> McCarthy said that um, although he that, that was very much a manager who loved his teams to play football, he was also more of a pragmatic manager who knew that he wasn't going to get away with playing that sort of football against really big teams, whether it's your Manchester City or even your Arsenal back in the day or what have you. So if, um, and you're welcome to check out that video. If you just search Eamon Dunphy and Mick McCarthy on YouTube, the first, that's the first thing you'll find and you'll see that somewhere near the end. And he basically said that if you have to um, effectively you know, pack the midfield, make it more pragmatic, just stifle and kill the chief, get the three points or get the win. Nobody complains because nobody bothers how you pl- how you win as long as you win. And of course, with a team like Wolves, you know, um, they were pretty much up against it. And O'Neill knew that he couldn't afford um, a poor result. And bear in mind, um, when McCarthy played on the Jack Charlton with the Republic of Ireland. Of course, Jack was known for being exceptionally pragmatic. Uh, Mick and Kevin Moran, who I think, if memory serves me right, um, either played for Manchester United or Tottenham, maybe both. Those two guys had a job of, you know, of um, being the enforcers, as it were. And that was somewhat before the likes of Paul McGrath came into the picture and David O'Leary had been you know, um, um, gradually phased out a bit. But he and Kevin Moran were basically the defensive enforcers who would um, stifle any activity from the opposing forwards and prevent them from really doing very much. And it was effectively long ball football, not very easy on the eye. And of course, um, Ireland um, were not necessarily the nicest team to watch, but somehow under Jackie, they reached the quarterfinals of... um, Italia 90, and if memory serves me right, a certain Jerry Payton, former Cherry himself, was a part of that squad as a backup goalkeeper to the legend that is Packy Bonner. Yeah. So, obviously Mick knew about the about both sides of playing pragmatically and also playing a little bit more um, stodgily, for want of a better word, and O'Neill was quick to um, deduce that um, while he at Bournemouth, if you remember, Craig, liked to use a flat back four with the... Uh, yeah two defensive midfielders, three and one, or sometimes it would be a 4-4-2. He knew that, um, um, 
you know, being a little bit too open wouldn't and attacking would sometimes not get you the best of results. And there were some results that could definitely have been avoided. And also at Wolves, he knew that um, the players that he had, if he tried to play with a more of a flat back four and tried to beat City at their own game, um, it would, you know, just come a cropper. So O'Neill knew exactly what he wanted to do, and he did it perfectly. And if we take a look at where Wolverhampton are in the league table, um, just trying to take a... I'll have to sort of uh, go back and see. Yeah, at the moment, Wolves are sitting in 15th with um, the City win being only their second of the season, uh, tallied with a draw and four losses. And AFC Bournemouth have three draws and four losses. So if those two, if two of those draws had been converted to wins, you could see that there wouldn't be too much of a difference. Now, this isn't a me means of trying to demean what Gary has done, because obviously, you know, you want to try to get some wins on, on the um, on the board. But um, it goes back to a little bit to what you were saying in the video about how you made a bit of a mistake. And the point you made where you said, you pretty much got a new coach coming in with a new philosophy, yeah. but more often than not, but more or less the same players from last season. And to be fair, you have brought in some new players, um, Justin Kluivert, Tyler Adams, who's out injured. I believe Kirkus is also new. Zabani, I think, you, did you have him last season or was we he? Is it, yeah, was we it? signed him in yes. January, which I personally think they had in mind to bring in Iriola at that time. So I think Neil oh. Blake and Richard Hughes were working on Iriola type players. But, you know, the, the thing is, is the Gary O'Neill style of play wasn't as attractive on the eye. Like you say, no. it's very pragmatic. You know, Liverpool, if we went and played against Liverpool, like we did against, let's take, for example, Saturday's opponents, um, Everton at home. You know, we were all over Everton. Don't get me wrong, Everton were poor. But we were able to dictate that game because, you know, we're, we were a better side than them. You know, we had a lot more confidence than them going into that game. You know, OK, you know, we are unbeaten run, which a lot of people... Are you, are you talking about the League game or the League Cup game? Um, to be honest, both of them were pretty good. Both of them were pretty good. They were both because, wins. Yeah, because um, because you know, are you, um, because you haven't played Everton yet, but you're talking about having played them last season, right? Yeah, last season, of course, okay, we cool. played them last game of the season as well at Goodison. Probably less said about that than the better. But yes, the thing was, was we was able to control that game. Now go to that Liverpool game that we won one nil at Dean Court, Liverpool. You know, quality side, not particularly having the best of seasons. And likewise, we can say this with Spurs as well. But Gary O'Neill had the tactics down to a T and adapted. And by adapted, I don't mean change the whole style of play. What I mean is he adapted and changed certain parts. Bring it on to Iriola. Um, and, of course, we will come back to this in a bit more detail but it feels like Arteta and Iriola play the same sort of game well to be honest it's an identical style now what Arteta has got at Arsenal is players that are used to playing for Unai Emery Arsene Wenger before that there is a style of play that players signing for Arsenal and players that Arsenal go after because they've played that way for so long. What we've got here at Bournemouth is Eddie Howe is probably the most similar to Iriola, but not identical in any way. Probably the no. most similar. But we've got a group of players that haven't played that way. Of course, we're not up to the levels of standards uh, and standards that Arsenal are. You know, the Arsenal players... And what we've done is we've thrown these players together and asked them to play a certain way. Now, I don't know about Velocano going back. You know, I take an interest in Spanish football and I know that Iriola did a good job. But 
the question is, is were those players and was that style of that football club like that throughout? I, I honestly don't know the answer to that. But what we've done is we've just changed the wheel overnight. Gary O'Neill's gone out. We've been playing this certain way, being a bit more scrappy, not beautiful. And we've changed to this beautiful style. And some of the football has been good, but it's not effective. It's not effective. Um, and like I say, Arteta and Iriola, same style of play, two completely different. It's completely two ends of the spectrum. And, you know, going back to Gary O'Neill, you know, that's what Gary O'Neill gets quite, does quite well. He's gone into Wolves and he's worked out the best way to get the results from that Wolves team without changing the wheel. He's changed and adapted to actually suit what Wolves need. Hmm. Right. Uh, you had a point there, obviously. And, um, you know, it must be said that given... Um, the circumstances um, that were there when he joined um, uh, Wolves, that he knew pretty much that he only had a limited um, pool of players with which he could work, and so he had to make the best out of whatever he could. And that's sort of the way it kind of worked for him in a way. But, you know, let's not forget, Craig, that in addition to um, the two wins the most recent being, of course, against City. He also has had four losses. So like yeah. Iriola, he's had a difficult start to life at uh, um, Molyneux. And it hasn't been easy for him to get, get things right at first. Mm -hmm. A lot of us who do um, remember O'Neill fondly and remember the job he did would like to see him kick on. But bear in mind that their next game is um, at Molyneux against Aston Villa. Then, of course, the uh, return to Dean Corr for O'Neill. And then, of course, another game against Newcastle. So what worked against Manchester City? Um, wouldn't I don't know if that would necessarily work against teams like Aston Villa and Newcastle. Aston Villa, of course, are managed by another Basque manager, Unai Emery. And um, they also enjoy playing the high line. Have, in fact, speaking of Aston Villa, I'm keeping a, an eye on their Europa Conference League game, where, which, which they're playing at um, Villa Park right now. 67 minutes, they're still goalless, so this is a bit of a worry because they need to um, get um, get cracking in Europe after all the hard work they've done. They need to start um, winning. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if this same, if this same style that um, O'Neill used perfectly against City would work against Villa um, back, at, back against Bournemouth and, of course, against um, Newcastle. And Newcastle, of course, we will speak about later. They are, I mean, the magpies are flying high. So it will remain to be seen how effectively he can w work that. And if he's able to get some good results in those games, then maybe we can say that the City win wasn't just a flash in the pan. So maybe it's a little bit too soon, um, in my opinion, Craig, for you to say that you made a mistake getting rid of O'Neill. Because, again... These run of games that both Bournemouth and Wolves have could potentially change something. It could be um, that you get a good result against Everton, you really um, turn the screw on them, and then that could give you the confidence to try to show um, Wolves that you know, you've moved on from Gary. And then the next game against um, Burnley, who, um, despite their win over fellow strugglers Luton, still look very, very, um, you know... Um, scared really i mean they're adapting to life in the premiership and they're finding it very very difficult um i would definitely say that these three games could determine everything um yeah. now of course i want to talk about how you speak about these similar styles of play between arteta and iriola um first of all the formations that were used um that day were quite different normally we play with the 4-2-3-1 formation just like iriola does but because um, we somehow have to try and find a way to accommodate Edward and Ketia. And also because we have a situation where Thomas Party is injured and Arteta still doesn't quite trust Declan Rice. I mean, Jorginho, rather. We yeah. play a midfield three with Martin Odegaard on the right, Declan Rice in the middle, and Kai Havertz on the left. The less said about him, the better. It was a pity penalty that he was given that day, and it was utterly pitiful, pun intended. 
I mean, he scored, but still, you know, it was um, ridiculous. And then, of course, just to accommodate Eddie and Ketia, who, despite wearing the number 14 jersey, will never compare to the original number 14, Thierry Henry, um, Saka was on the right, and then he hobbled off um, and had to be substituted before the end of the game, and Gabriel Jesus was on the left. Although, I suppose, to be fair, you can see Nketiah and Jesus sort of switching uh, switching positions every now and then, with Nketiah possibly going to the left and Jesus coming in the middle. And, of course, it was Jesus who headed the ball against the bar, which caught Neto completely off guard. And um, poor man-marking, it must be said, allowed Saka to just go through and um, sort of poke that in. And, of course, the two penalties from Odegaard and Havertz and then a headed goal from Ben White. I'll tell you what, we might have um, scored four goals and we might have probably had, uh, um, had uh, shown that we could play the better attacking football. But, and this is a pretty big but here, um, it wasn't exactly as uh, clinical or, you know, overpowering a performance as a lot of people would think it was. And... In Alexander Zinchenko, Craig, we still have someone who's a bit of a liability, and even Ben White, who some of us, um, you know, dismissively call Benny Blanco for yeah. reasons obvious. Um, you know, he also, in many ways, um, kind of struggled, perhaps. Now, I want to take a look at the uh, Bournemouth formation, which is a four-two-three-one, but also the lineup, and compare that to the line lineup which you had when you beat Stoke. Obviously, in the defence, you had a couple of changes. Radu started in goal, and um, Adam Smith, the uh, long-time veteran, came in at right-back. Yeah. And it was Zabani, Senesi, and Kerkes, um pretty much the same front three, which also started against Arsenal. This time, it was Max Ahrens who replaced um, Smith at right-back. You also had Lewis Cook as one of the defensive midfielders, but it was uh, Jackie Rothwell who played alongside Lewis Cook. And against Arsenal, it was Ryan Christie. Then, instead of starting with um, David Brooks and Dunga Atara like you did against Stoke, and I think they probably yeah, made more of a positive yeah. difference, um, Iriola saw it fit to play Marcus Tavernier and Justin Kluivert. Now, these guys, obviously, if you remember, Craig, um, you, Matt, and I did a stream about players who were more than likely to be sold, and we probably came to the conclusion that Marcus Tavernier wasn't going to last very long. So why he was given a new contract, I mean, it was rather um, surprising in many ways. Uh, Billing and Solanke, of course, are two players who are expected to start in Bournemouth's um, Premier League games because they are probably two of your team's best players. But these two, um, you know, attacking midfielders, Tavernier and Kluivert, um, both of them were substituted and replaced by Luis Sinistera and um, Donga Atara, respectively. And you could tell that when Sinistera and Atara came on, they sort of added that um, speed and pace and they were able to run. I've been very impressed with Atara, by the way. And one of the things which um, I was a bit surprised with when it came to Iriola's selection was that he would have considered what really worked well against Stoke and tried to use that against Arsenal. Maybe he thought that Dongo needed a rest or, or maybe David Brooks did, I don't know. Was Brooksy injured for this? No, he wasn't injured. He was, just, he was no, on the bench. It was just, do you know what? This is my biggest argument. David Brooks is ready to start a football match. You know, he's he's battled back from Hodgkin lymphoma. Thank God. And, you know, he looks in sensational form. But I don't understand why he's not playing him because... He's a lot more creative. He probably would. He probably is able to walk into Iriola's style. So I don't understand why he's not playing him. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's probably the impetus as well that he gives up front money. Um, yes. You know, it's it's that that ability to look for things that are happening. That you know, knowledge. Whereas Dongo. He's, you know, fast, he's quick, maybe a little bit lightweight, maybe overruns things at times. You know, he's a good player, Dongo. I, I, to be honest, Marcus Tavernier is a very, very good player. I think, you know, with regards to, you know, on that right-hand side, I would pick Brooks all day long 
I'd pick all day long. But here's one that actually, and this is an interesting conversation that I've had um, today, is Phil Billing. And Phil Billing, you know, anyhow, like I say, you know, was the last man who who struggled a little bit with Phil Billing. Because Phil Billing doesn't seem to be able to play into this style. You know, he's great at threading the ball through, but he's not the world's greatest passer. You know, he's one of those players that, you know, he fit fitted a style. He fitted, um, you know, effectively a mantra. He could walk into that Wolves team and be back on fire because he's used to getting involved and bought the ball being passed back to him like Solanke used to do. Um now it's just pass, pass, pass. And I know you say, you know, 4-0. Did it flatter Arsenal? I don't think it did. I think, you know, you look at how many chances did we have in that match? We had one, two. I think there, as soon as that first goal went in from Saka, there was only going to be one outcome. Only going to be one outcome because... The star was pass, 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 not do much with it. Then pass, pass, pass. Oops, we've made a mistake at the back. And then we've conceded either a penalty or a goal or something like that. Um, and that is my main gripe with Iriola. We should have been, we should be playing Brooks. You know, with regards to Phil Bill, we, we're not, this style is not, working to the best of his ability it's not getting the best from him um eddie howe's style is probably the most similar not identical eddie howe got more out of uh phil bill than you know and you could say phil bill okay understandable at that time because he was that much younger still learning the game but um i think something needs to give because the style of play that Iriola was playing at Bellicano is pretty enough, pretty enough, but we're making mistakes. We're not making the attacks. And Manny, do, do, do tell me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, by persevering with that style of play, we're going to get relegated. We're going to get relegated. By um, mate, 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 listen, 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 listen. Like, see, there are going to be occasions, um, you know, when the style of play can work. And especially if you're going to come up against teams like Everton and Wolves, who are going to have to be very pragmatic. If you select the right players, you're going to get through it. Um, you, you're going to do fine. And that's one of the reasons why I brought up David Brooks in the um, yeah. uh, League Cup game against Stoke. Because, um, look, you've now managed to make it to the round of 16. And that's something that Manchester City couldn't do. Mm-hmm. So... Yes. Um, <laughs> Obviously, I mean, you know, the League Cup run is probably secondary to the um, Premiership. As you mentioned, the Premiership is your bread and butter. While a nice, um, um, if you do somehow manage to um, uh, win the League Cup against all odds, that would be the cherry on top, it must be said. Unintended. But, um, but, uh, you know, the reason why I brought that up is because if he was able to select um, a a lineup which didn't really have that many changes, um, from the Stoke game to the Arsenal game, then, you know, sometimes you have to pinpoint where the differences were. Aaron's replaced Smith, but then it was Aaron's who actually gave away the, uh, uh, gave away one of the penalties. I think it might have been um, the second, um, yes, the first penalty was, for yeah. the foul, for the foul on Saka and Odegaard ended up taking it. And um, also another issue is that if Phil Billing can't really play as the number 10 in that position, Something tells me that that um, could be tailor-made for a guy like Ryan Christie to come in there and maybe Jack Rothwell can go back alongside Lewis Cook. Because, look, the 4-2-3-1 football, as you said, is producing some really, really good football. And I would I would definitely, you know, um, concur with that because when we had that wonderful run at the beginning of the season, we were playing some amazing stuff with the 4-2-3-1 formation. But then um, Jesus got injured. And the only reason why we're not playing a 4-2-3-1 right now is because Arteta doesn't really like the idea of Jorginho getting too many minutes. Maybe he's he thinks in his mind he's evolved from the two defensive midfielders and three attacking midfielders idea, which he probably shouldn't. Um, the idea of uh, stretching three midfielders in the middle and having Kai Havertz being one of them and then having three men up top. You know, we're not Liverpool, you see. 
And no. Eddie Nketiah is never going to compare to someone like a Luis Diaz or a Darwin Nunes. Heck, he's not even going to compare to a Dominic Solanke as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but, um, you know, somehow Arteta is able to make it work. And I think um, yeah. the 4-3-3 can be a little bit fluid at times, especially when Jorginho does come on as a substitute. Um, if Rice is still on the pitch, the two of them can sort of settle back in and sort of protect the uh, back four. And uh, that's sort of the way it can work in that respect. But um, look, I think um, the 4-2-3-1 formation will produce some good football. And if we do take a look at your next opponents, Everton, um, under Sean Dyche, they pretty much um, have a habit of playing a 4-5-1 formation. Back, flat back four, five midfielders spread apart, and then one lone striker, be it Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, there's yeah. no Demarai Gray. There's no um, Neil Mope. So it's Calvert-Lewin and this um, guy named uh, Beto Gomez-Betuncal. Um, I would like to see a Daesh become a little bit more adventurous and maybe play a 4-4-2, but I don't think that happens. So it's effectively the 4-5-1 does sometimes um, you know, transition into a 4-4-1-1 with Abdullah Dekure um occupying that role between the midfielders and the striker, sort of like um a pivot, um, as it were. And that's sort of the way the, the way it is. So Everton do tend to pack the midfield. But let's say, for example, if you've got Ryan Christie playing the number 10 and you've got David Brooks to his right and someone like Adongo Otara on the, on the left, and, you know, you've got Solanke who can be replaced by um, Philip Billing as a substitute, you know, that's the sort of um, front four attack, I mean, three plus one attack that would really, you know, put the cat amongst the pigeons. And hopefully that would actually um, cause a lot of problems. They have to play the aging Ashley Young at right back. Um, Vitaly Mikolenko at left back isn't really the best. Saka nutmegged him several times when we went to Goodison Park. And then Jimmy Tarkovsky and uh, Carlos um, Branthwaite, I think. Uh, no, Jared Branthwaite, rather. And then, of course, the midfield. Um, it's hardworking. It's the same people. Um, Amadou Anana. Idris Agana-Gaye, Dwight McNeil, who, like Tarkovsky, played under Dyche at Burnley. And um, it doesn't really look very attractive. So this should be the opportunity, especially given their lack of confidence, having lost to Luton Town, of all teams, yes. to, try and, um, to try and get something from there and really play at their insecurities. And the, another problem is, if you want to play that kind of attacking football with a high line, Craig, you got to make sure that your defense is spot on. And that's why... Um... Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This would be the perfect game, in my opinion, for Adam Smith to come back in because, you know, as much as both you and I may rate Max Ahrens, and bear in mind he was, of course, coveted by many premiership teams, I just think that maybe he's become a little bit um, raw for some reason since he's come back. Yeah. I, I don't know if he's really settled into that defence that well. And obviously, obviously, it's falling to the likes of Zabani and Senesi and Kerkes to try to pick up the slack, especially with Lloyd Kelly um, not really in the first team picture as of yet. So, if you if you're able to put Ryan Christie in that number ten position, because when he plays for Scotland, mind you, he does um, tend to be more a lot more attacking. So yeah. I'd like to see Iriola do a lot more research, especially on his internationals, to see where they play and how they're able to be successful. And if he can find a way to incorporate that, then that would be good. And I know you also did a video with um, an Arsenal fan where you were speaking about how um, 
Arsenal could very well end up uh, being, um, you know, well, well, um, right up there at the top. And I think um, your prediction that they would be champions would be satisfied. But I'm going to tell you something. Seeing them play against Leon, they were absolutely diabolical. They allowed themselves to get out-muscled by the Lons um, midfield. And although Declan Rice had a decent game, he wasn't exactly at his marauding, overpowering best. Takahiro Tomiyasu did well, but he also ended up, um, you know, being sort of um, out attack. I mean, skinned down that right-hand side, down the left-hand side most of the time by Lons. And, I mean... We take a look at um, Lons' formation. They have a 3-4-2-1, which um, Unai Emery likes to use. So it's not the same pragmatic formation that Gary O'Neill has used. Um, if you've got a four-man midfield, but a two-man um, attacking midfield and a lone striker, that way, you know, you also have two players who can sort of run the channels down sort of the, sort of the middle and go out wide. And also the, um, there are two wing-backs there. Machado, in particular, had a fine game, as did uh, Premislav Frankowski. And they were able to stifle our midfield. And um, it was Odegaard, Rice and Havertz again. It was Saka, uh, Gabriel Jesus. Thankfully, Ketia was dropped. And Trossard had a... He tried when he was um, up front on the left. And yeah. instead of... Um, there was also another change to the um, back four. It was Tommy Asso, as I mentioned, who came in for Ben White but the same other back three of Saliba, Gabriel and Zinchenko. I despise seeing Alexander Zinchenko playing at left back because he, he, we go inverted. He comes into the midfield. He can be on the right, but then if another team has a very um, fast and quick right winger, um, you know, he's nowhere to be seen and the attacks go down, um, go down that side and we're weak for defensive cover. It happened in the North London derby. It happened against Lawrence again. All the same failings of Arteta's tactical um, ideas are just um, resurfacing. If he had a more orthodox left back, he'd overlap perfectly um, whoever's playing on the left. In this case, it was Trossard because Gabriel Martinelli is, of course, injured. And yeah. then I know Cheney's injured, but Cheney just plays that orthodox role, that overlapping role so beautifully and when he and when Real Sociedad where he is now played into Milan in the Champions League he kept Denzel Dumfries quiet and if you've seen the Netherlands of the World Cup you know how 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 lightning quick and how um powerful Dumfries is so to have that sort of a performance um, it's, it's a feather in his cap and now he's out until the new year with a hamstring injury although I hope he'll be able to recover quickly he's taking to life in Spain like a duck to water but the point is even Arteta's system, as you can see, is not perfect. And that's another reason why, unless he um, takes a look at um, the entire team and sees what has to happen, unless he decides that Kai Havertz has no role to play in his team, unless he is in any way willing to go back to the 4-2-3-1 formation with Jesus at the lone striker, with two defensive midfielders, and again, he doesn't really trust Jorginho that much, but Thomas Partey is also out injured. And this season, whenever Partey was playing in the beginning, he was playing him at right back to have him cut in. Hmm. I mean, you've heard of the saying, if it isn't broken, don't fix it, haven't you, mate? Well, why are you trying to do something different? Why are you trying to, you know, tinker and experiment and seeing it all go wrong? And then just because you like it, you play the same, um, you, you play the same way, you use the same tactics, and you don't get the results you want. If PSV Eindhoven hadn't have equalized that night, we would have been sitting third in the Champions League group after two games. And that would have been horrible. So yeah. we've flopped this time around. And unless we get our act together, unless Arteta bucks his ideas up, um, we could end up suffering Champions League humiliation. So that just goes to show even Arteta has his problems. But one person who doesn't have any such problems, Edward Howe. Yep, and we'll come on to him very, very soon. But, you know, a good, interesting points made there about Everton. And yeah. I think if you look at, take out Sheffield United, because I think Sheffield United easily the worst team in the league by far. But you take into account all the other teams, you've got to say Everton have got one of the weakest squads in the Premier League. But Oh, yes. 
one thing that Sean Dyche does very, very well is he knows how to get the best from that side. And how he gets the best from that side is by going very, very direct, very quick. You know, if we go up to Everton and we play that style of play, we'll pass it around. We won't do much with it. You know, you know, we won't make many opportunities. You know, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get on the score sheet through it. But, you know, <laughs> that's not a given. Um, but we'll pass it around. We'll manage manage the game. Possession-based, we'll be on top of that. That's absolutely fine. But what Sean Dyche will do is he'll allow us to do that. Tarkowski gets it at the back and hits us quickly on the break. Calvert-Lewin will be waiting there. The ball will be threaded through. And it will be from one end to the other, probably a space of 20, 25 seconds. Everton will get it all the way up in the back of our net. Whereas we're passing, we're controlling the game and we're managing the game. We're playing the better football. This is what the problem is. And it feels like Arteta is in a similar, you know, consider it's good you brought up that Lons game because I think this is a problem. I feel that, you know, maybe just follows Basque managers around. Is this, this style where it's pass, 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 pass. We're going to manage this game. We're going to do what we... And there's no threat. There's no impetus. There's no willingness to change, you know, especially the formation, the personnel. But that seems to be the what I get from Iriola. It doesn't seem like he wants to change from this style at all. And if, you know... On Saturday, we're 60 minutes in to the game. It's nil-nil. I really, really do hope that Iriola goes, right, we're going to go more direct. We're going to hit Everton hard, come away with a 1-0 win. You know, I'd expect to it to be a lot more comfortable than that. But at the same time, you know, I don't rate Everton at all. I don't think Everton are a very good side. Honestly, I don't think they're a very good side. I think they will still be in the bottom three at the end of the season. Let's be fair, they've been beaten by Luton. But one thing I know is that Dyche, this will play straight into his hands. A bit like, and let's be fair, if he can do it to Thomas Frank and Brentford, you know, he can do it to Andoni Iriola and Bournemouth, who haven't got a win all season. You know, don't worry about the opposition. We've had a hard start, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like there's any correction of the mistakes from Brighton to Arsenal. You know, and before that as well. I completely concur. And when you sort of um, have a record of played seven, one nil, I mean, one none, drawn three, and lost four, you do get the sense that. Um, there doesn't seem to be a willingness to try and correct um, the mistakes, or maybe there's um, maybe there's an inability. I don't know. Um, Iriel is no fool, Craig, and he's played um, at the highest level with um, Bill Bow. He was a legend with them as a player before moving to Vallecano. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have been saying that um, you know his wins over Real Madrid and Barcelona and the Copa del Rey were sort of creditable. But then we all know that cup matches always produce um, freakish results every single season. Yeah. So it's his league form that really determines how well, um, how decent a manager he is. And I want to just go back to um, his um, league form with um, Viacano as a manager and take a look at where they finished because. I mean, he he was playing that sort of that style of football that he wanted. To, he want he's obviously wanted to try and bring it to Bournemouth in a way. I think there should have been a lot more effort for him from him to try to take a look at the players in question and see who could play that style. And we were talking about David Brooks. He's a type of player, Craig, who beautifully fit into that system. But he is playing. quick. Yeah, and that has to change. That has yeah. to change, as I've mentioned. As I've mentioned, bring Brooks on the right, Christie in the middle, Dungo on the left. Um, move 
I mean, bring Rock um, Rockwell back into the defensive midfield alongside Lewis Cook, who's done quite well, and um, maybe start Adam Smith at um, right back again. Um, Solanke up top. Bring Billing on for Solanke, or maybe Kiefer Moore, if you really want to um, go direct, if you want to have a big target man. And let's see what can happen. And yeah. let's not forget that although Everton did beat... Um, Brentford at the community stadium to re to record their win. They also lost to a Luton team that, quite frankly, are worse than them. So, in fact, these are his managerial statistics. Um, he's played 136 games, won 54, lost 50, drawn 32, um, a win percentage of just less than 40, and more or less, um, if you compare the wins and losses, he's only won four more games than he's actually lost. And as a manager, his only real success um, in all management was the Cypriot Super Cup with AEK Larnaca. And, yeah, he took over, obviously, from Paco Jemez at Raya Vallecano. He got promotion in the playoffs, which was good, and extended his contract uh, until the following year. Um, he led the club to the last four of the national of the, of the Copa del Rey. That was in 2022. And... Um, yeah, so in comparison, I mean, not that Iriola, not that Arteta is actually, you know, any kind of um, any kind of benchmark. Because look, that fellow came into um, Arsenal having been the assistant coach at Manchester City, so he had no managerial experience. Um, Arsenal were willing to take a leap of faith with him, but many of us think that that was a dreadful decision. You could say, in some ways, Craig, that this was more of a leap of faith um, bringing um, Iriola in. Um, you know, if the style of play is appealing and you are getting some chances and you just quite aren't quite able to finish them off due to bad luck, ill fortune, what have you, you know, you certainly can't um, aim to throw out the bathwater and also potentially throw out and, ke and keep the baby or, you know, end up throwing the baby out as well eventually. Mm. You know, you just have to tweak the system and make it work. We stopped playing the 4-2-3-1 because Gabby Jesus got injured and Eddie Nketiah, who was our striker at the time, couldn't play as a lone striker. But then yeah. we would uh, bring Leandro Trossard in as a false nine and then try the 4-2-3-1 again, and it would work to a bit of an extent. So he has to take a look at the um, fixtures he's had. At least he's had two wins in the League Cup, so I'd like to see him look back at those wins and see what the team did right and what he did right and try and bring that to the league. And having seen Tavernier and um, others not do too well, he has to make changes quickly. You either make the changes quickly that need to be made or you're asking for trouble. If he keeps a stable defence, he's going to be fine. The danger of playing a high line is that if your defence is not stable and in sync, you're asking for trouble. And at least, um, you know, for what it's worth, we've seen Zabani, Zanessi and um, Kirk as playing as, th uh, as the same three in that defence for two games straight. The only difference, of course, being at right back. Bring Adam Smith back if he's fit and just make those changes, keep the same formation and then see what happens. Um, of course, another uh, motivating factor is that Everton do have the ex-Cherry Dan Juma in their squad. Yes. So if he starts, I think you'll be motivated to also make him see what he's missing. Yeah. Yeah, and oh, well, I think I really do like Iriola. The stats of Velicano are very, very good. Um, in fact, I believe, you know, in Cyprus, he wasn't really that favoured, but he did very, very well in Spain. Now, I really, really wanted to work out for him. He comes across really well in interviews. Um, he's a really likable person. But likeable people don't get the results all the time. Sometimes these yes. horrible decisions have to be made. And, you know, my next thought is if we do end up getting beat by Everton, we play this sort of style, we do, you know, get beat by Wolves. You know, at, after those three games, we're sitting in the bottom three because all three of those games are winnable. All three are very, very winnable. But if he doesn't get anything from any of them, for example, or, you know, and I would say I would expect six points from these next 
three games. That's sort of the sort of targets that we were giving Gary O'Neill. There has to be real questions, both from Iriola himself and say, right, okay, I need to change this. I haven't got the players that I had at Valacano. At Valacano, they had this style for some time before. I don't know if that's the case. Maybe he changed them as well. Maybe it got off to, or maybe it was a little bit easier to do that in the second tier of Spanish football. He needs to look at himself and think, right, okay, what do I need to do? And the board need to look at it and think, have we made the right decision? You know, it might not necessarily be what the route they want to go down. I think they want to go with this nice style of play. They want to go with this progression as a football club. They wouldn't have spent as much money on a team for Iriola and to Iriola's strengths because nobody can tell me that the signings in January, Zabarnier, Dongo Atara, Hamid Traore, those aren't Gary O'Neill players. Those are Iriola players. This was decided beforehand. They knew what they was going to do. But they need to make a decision before it's too late. Would you say, after Burnley, if we are still in the bottom three, say, for example, with four points, five points, maybe even six points, um, you know, I would hope that we'd be on at least nine after these three games. What has to happen at that point? Mate, that is a horrible, horrible question, and it's not a question that a, a Bournemouth fan could answer, given that I'm a non-Bournemouth fan, but someone who has um, uh, a good respect for your team. It's very difficult for me to say. Um, I don't want that to happen. I want Iriola the, to be successful. I've got to say that, because, you know, I really do like the man. You know, he, he comes across, you know, Gary O'Neill was very, very straight-faced, deadbeat, you know, to the media. I met him in person. Really, really nice guy. But, you know, on when you see him in the media, very deadbeat. Iriola seems to have time for everybody. He cares about his players. He loves his players. And you get that thought from Velocano as well. But like I say, nice guys don't win you games. Nice get, you know, a nice guy in a workplace you know, if the team hasn't done anything or has got zero sales, you know, it doesn't really matter that you're a nice guy. Um, I get that completely. I get that completely. And, um, you know, Iriola is a nice bloke, but um, you don't get to play um, for several years at um, one of the, uh, I wouldn't say biggest clubs, but definitely a, a consistent club in Spain without having something about you. He made 400 league appearances for Athletic Bilbao over a 13-year spell, if memory serves me right. And um, there is a kind of steeliness about him, and he knows that he has to take some hard decisions. Um, he has to start showing that um, he really is a good tactician and also is more proactive in terms of making changes. And if he can do that, then that's fine. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's difficult, um, Craig, because... What the what what Bill Foley and what the board would like to see and what the fans would like to see is a certain type of progression. And you yourself have said several times you like the style of play. And you see um, how it um, really fits um, at Bournemouth. And um, again, sometimes with, with the premiership, it can be a real cruel um, thing, you know? It mm. uh, you get you get a, you get you don't get the rub of the green. You don't you get some poor decisions going against you. Sometimes you try hard and create be some beautiful chances, and yet it just doesn't um, fall in your favour. And that um, that's sort of like life the, the way it is. And as you can agree, you haven't had the um, kindest um, run of fixtures up till now. Um, it's as if um, with Liverpool to come up a little bit later on after these three games, you're almost um, counting on a miracle and that's not the way it should be but uh you know i'd like to think that there would be a little bit of sympathy and if a decision would have to be taken it would be taken probably by the end of november which would give time for the uh interim uh coach to sort of um, steady the ship until the january transfer window uh, or the new year rather and um then you know you can look for 
a new manager who can just um, steady the ship. It's it, it's tough. It's hard. But that is sort of the way it is. It happened to Unai Emery yeah. at Arsenal, albeit in the second season when after a first season where he did really well with us and was just denied uh, Champions League positions via the league and the cup at the very end. You know, we wanted um, a lot of us wanted him to build on that. But when the performances started to tank a bit, um, we didn't really see any real sign of improvement. So we had to make the tough decision to um, send him on his way. I hope and pray as well that it doesn't happen with Iriola because in as much as I think Gary O'Neill was very harshly treated, I would definitely go so far to say that um, Iriola has made um, uh, an instant impact at Bournemouth with his um, affable character. Um, we'll, we'll just have to take a look and see, but you know, you've got to have the confidence and belief that you can beat an Everton team who, quite frankly, don't play some decent football and who have a tendency to follow up um, a really good performance with some really bad ones. Bear in mind, mind you, um, last season, they creamed Brighton and Hove Albion, Albion at the Amex Stadium to the tune of 5-1. And Zerbi went on to say, you will see a different Brighton next time around. I can't get the accent for the life of me. I mean, it sounds more it sounds more French or, you know, Iberian than Italian, but so sue me. But um, obviously, Brighton, of course, went on to beat Manchester City and secure uh, Europa League football. And Everton still had to um, depend on a last-day um, win over you lot by the skin, to survive by the skin of their teeth. And interestingly yeah. enough, taking a look at that... Um, uh, the lineups that day. O'Neill actually used a 4 2 3 1 formation and Daesh went with a 3 4 2 1. So slightly different to what um, would normally be used, but obviously O'Neill felt that he had the players to do it. Um, Ryan Christie, of course, was in that number 10 position. Um, Brooks and Atara were there and Solanke up front. My goodness, it's as if, you know, I have this tendency, of, uh, ability to sort of go back to the future <laughs> yeah. and predict it. So, yeah. And then, of course, um, somehow he ended up playing um, uh, Jack Rothwell and uh, Philip Billing as the, uh, I know it was Jefferson Lerma at that time who was wearing the number eight jersey. And then, of course, he left the club, um, maybe not acrimoniously, but still, I mean, obviously you can't forgive the guy. Moved to Crystal Palace, I think. And then it was Billing who was playing as a defensive midfielder of all things. Maybe he didn't feel comfortable playing in that position. And then Adam Smith, Ilya Zabani, Marcos Sanessi, and Lloyd Kelly at left back with Mark Travers in goal because I think uh, Neto was injured then. And yeah. um, Neto, um, Travers has since gone on to play at Stoke. And I think he couldn't play against you lot because he was cup tied in the, uh, I mean, not, not cup tied, but obviously the lone agreement made it crystal clear that he couldn't turn out against um you guys in the in in the cup so yeah. it was effectively uh yeah so i'm trying to take a look at that last fixture that corresponding fixture to see how the teams lined up because obviously how everton lined up that day will be very difficult to how they'll be expected to line up um this weekend um he's still going to look to play the flat back four and try and play the five across midfield or have the central uh, of those five be a pivot with a lone striker up top. And um, the only thing I would say is that Zabani and Kelly have got to really make sure they get their man marking spot on because yep. as they allowed Bukayo Saka to score and just weren't able to get to grips with the um, strike force then, they cannot afford to allow Calvert-Lewin to get any space or come into that. And as long as the defense is solid and the midfield get um, are working perfectly, you know, you should have the confidence to think we're going to go there and we're going to avenge that defeat in that corresponding fixture last season. You've just got to have the belief. You can't let fear cripple you. And if, you're go if you want to be brave enough to try and adapt a new style of football, then, you know, you've got to just um, think to yourself against a team like Everton, should we really be afraid? Should we really allow ourselves to uh, to let self um, doubt or self loathing cripple us? I don't think so, mate. So no. just go in there, make most importantly, make the changes you need to make, and hopefully everything will be fine. Well, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, last thing, really, to mention though, before we do wrap it up, um, is a certain. Sir Eddie Howe of Bournemouth, um, as we like to know him, the legend. Um, 
And he's gone from beating Chester to, you know, set up that game against Grimsby to um, beating a team that contains Mbappe. Yep. He's come a long way as yes. um, he's, he's come a long way, baby, as Norman Cook would say. Norman <laughs> Cook, of course, is um, the real name of Fatboy Slim. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, it's been 20 years for Newcastle. Um, good on them. It's been mm-hmm. a long wait. It's been well worth the wait. And, uh, you know, the 4-3-3 formation with um, Gamaresh, Longstaff and uh, um, Tonali in that midfield, um, it worked a treat. And they blitzed Aston Villa on the first day of the season. By the way, um, Aston Villa were able to beat their opponents in the Europe, Europa Conference League, but by the skin of their teeth, with the last chance of the game deep into injury time. <laughs> so, I mean, they, they found it difficult so far, but I think that's also because um, Unai Emery doesn't really have that big enough a squad, and he has to try to sign some players, because I would love to see him, mind you, launch a charge for the Champions League and go far in Europe. But he needs to get a better squad, get rid of some players who, who just quite frankly aren't up to it. But um, yeah, uh, Newcastle, of course, um, they also proved just what an asset Alexander Isak is. He and Miguel Almiron combined um, just beautifully to make um, that PSG defense look absolutely um, stodgy, shoddy, shabby, and, uh, you know, just completely out of sorts. Marquinhos had a dreadful game, and um, Manuel Agato was barely better. Milan Scrinia, I think, was, uh, you know, just plodding along. And I think in as much as uh, we have to give um, Newcastle their props, PSG have been a pretty shabby group this season. Shoddy. Yes. Insert whatever um, um, adjective you like, adjective you like, beginning with S. Um, they haven't been doing well in League R. They've lost quite a few. And uh, they did beat Borussia Dortmund, but it wasn't a very effective win. And now with the loss to a Newcastle team that were, you know, just pumped up and motivated, they sat back brilliantly on the counter and were able to allow um, Dan Byrne, Jamal Lasselle, um, Fabian Scher and Kieran Trippier to effectively stifle uh, Kylian Mbappe, Randall Colo, Mwani, Osman Dembele and company. Those three, mind you, of course, were in the France team that lost the World Cup final to Argentina. And yeah. don't forget Lucas Hernandez, who, of course, started the first game of that tournament, but got a knee injury and was replaced by his brother, Theo. Um, but they made that, uh, that team completely look ordinary. And it's another um, bad result in what has been a dreadful start to the season. I think Luis Enrique once again has been shown to be a poor appointment, really. And, you know, credit to Newcastle. They've done as well as they can. And if this is what Champions League football is like, then I think um, the Geordies are going to be saying, let's have more of it. So credit to Eddie Howe. The real tests, of course, will come later on in the group when PSG will be looking for revenge at the Parc des Princes. They still have to face Borussia Dortmund, who will be a tough proposition both at the Signal Duna Park and, of course, at St. James's Park. And let's not forget um, another clash against AC Milan, a reunion for Tonali with his former teammates. Yeah. It's going to get difficult, but they've actually managed to do really well while we're, when we on a night when we floundered. And Eddie Howe has made Ed, um, Arteta look, quite frankly, amateurish. So, but he's done well. He's, he's stuck to what he knows well, and that is exactly what Iriola should do. Stick to what you know well, make it work, and you just might get the results you want. Well, there we are. So hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, Iriola's style of play does come off and, you know, just persevere, make those tweaks, and we'll get there. Um, let's hope. Well, I think that's pretty much all we've got time for this week. Manny, thank you as always. You'll be back next week, won't you? Definitely. I mean, you call, I come running. Excellent. That's the motto. (laughs) Thank you everybody for watching us as well. Please remember to hit the like, subscribe, bell button, um, follow us on all the podcasts as well. But until the next show, up the cherries and we'll see you in the next one. Thank you for joining us. Thank you all. Take care. Cheers.
The TalkSport fan network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.